Underestimated and still I made it In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated Nobody chose me, looked over, but still dedicated Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favorite Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors DB precision, television, ain't ask for no favors Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest Run through opponents, watch the film, it's effective, I promise Sit back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First uh. Man, it is such a good day This is a great day Last week was a stinking awesome week Right, I got a new deal Who knew? Who knew I'd get a new deal? And what was crazy about it was this. It's my fourth deal with ESPN, and I'll kind of go through the ways that it went. But this is the first time that I got the whole big press rollout. And, you know, like I had to do radio interviews. And I got newspaper articles. It was like this press release from ESPN on social media and on ESPN.com. And I felt like Sally Fields. I was like, they like me. They really like me. And, and it got me to thinking, though, you know, one, it, it made me more excited about, about TV and about media and about doing these different things. Last, last Friday, when I had to do the meeting about the meeting that was about the meeting that was about the production show meeting before the show, and Ashley calls me. Oh, no, it was Susan calls me. And she goes, hey, Ryan, it's time for your favorite meeting. Because I 100% make sure they know I don't think I need all of those meetings to do an hour show. Now, I could be wrong. I could need the 45-minute call at 1030. I could also need the hour Zoom production meeting call in order to do an hour of TV. I could need those things. Or I could need the call the day before get up that leads to the 5 a.m. Zoom production meeting call before I get up to do the show. But I'll be honest. I was always like, hey, guys, I don't really need this. And I would know that I didn't need, need it because there were some days that we have to miss it for one reason or another. And I still do the show pretty dang good. But, you know, you do these things because there are other people that have to do their jobs. And those meetings, meetings help people do their jobs. So I do the stinking meetings. Uh, but when Susan called me this Friday and she was like, Hey, man, it's time for your favorite meeting. I was like, hell yeah, it's time for my favorite meeting. I was like, we're going we to meet the piss out of this show. And I was early, too. She texted me like, you know, and you could tell the tone of the text was kind of, hey, RC, you know, we have to do our meeting. I called right away. I didn't even text back. Hey, Susan, how you doing? God bless you. Happy Friday. Because you know what? I feel better about my job now. And, you know, like things are things are crazy sometimes. I was the first dude to have a, a TV contract while he was still playing, which people in Pittsburgh hated. I could have did construction. I could have went to get my master's. But boy, don't you do TV. And I get it. Like those two things kind of happen at the same time. If you're doing TV all the time, you can't necessarily be playing football the way you're supposed to. But that wasn't the truth. Right. When I had my hit on Tuesday, we have to work. I'd go in, do like 10 minutes. They leave me alone. For my bye weekend, I went to work instead of going on vacation. It made sense to me, but people hated it. 
And then I retired on air. I already knew I had the deal. The, the deal was done, but they wanted me to do it a certain way. So I retired on air at the combine in 2015 and I was working. And then you go through four years of a deal and then you get a new one. And then some things started to change at ESPN. ESPN was always like this big family of, of workers, right? It was kind of like a hodgepodge of people. But they, they started to zero in and they wanted people to understand that you can watch a show at a certain time and see a certain face. And they started picking faces and them faces wasn't my faces. And I was like, what the hell? What's up with my face? Why don't, you don't like my face? And so I was like, holy hell, you know, you got to get after it. And then I remember... When I signed my deal two years ago and I didn't necessarily get the things I wanted or the things that I thought I was good enough to get. I remember telling my agents at that time, I was like, I'm going to kill them for two years and we're going to be in a different position two years from now. And we were. And it was crazy, right? Because I was considering going somewhere else. And in doing that, I would have had to freaking move and be in a different place for a longer time. And I was actually going to do it. And I was like, whoa, this might be a career. Because, you know, at first it was like, I really, 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 really love football. And if you've noticed, I don't really mind talking. And so talking football, I was like, this is the holy grail of jobs after football. And so when you kind of get into business and you realize it's not necessarily what you thought and it's so subjective, like we can't really tell who's great. We can't really tell who's excellent, it's all, it's, it's all in the listener, right? It's all in who's paying attention. It's all in their perception. Perception, like I'm from New Orleans and New Orleans Saints fans hate me. They think I don't like New Orleans. I love New Orleans. Born and raised there. But one year, I really liked the Rams. So I talked about the Rams a lot. I even had my own special song to come on my homeboy, Matt Show. And then... They were like, oh, you hate New Orleans. I don't hate New Orleans. I was about to move to L.A. I didn't even want to go. I still live in Louisiana. But the perception was since I didn't like their team and I didn't say things that were great about their team, their team, they didn't necessarily love me on TV. And so then once other people ran me, hey, hey, yeah, Ooh. it might be back this year. They got Matt Stafford. We might bring it back, Matt. Yeah. Right, so I had my own song. I had my own song, Ramit, and LA fans loved me. And so now we got in this position and it started to make me think if this becomes a career, if this is something I can do as a second career, not something you can do for a little while and then you move on and do something else, then you have to do it the right way. Right? You started thinking about people like Stuart Scott and you think about the Howard Cosells and all of these people who become, become these stars and these household names. And a lot of times it's partly because of what they do and then some of the moments of excellence that they have that they continue on with. And so we start to believe that those people are great and we talk about them with a different reverence. But I was like, so it's, it's so subjective. You know, like where's there's like you can't quantify it. And so then it got me thinking about sports because everything gets me to think about sports because it's all I ever freaking did. Been playing ball since I was four. And I was like, when we look at the greats of the game, when you think about the Jordans and the Gretzky's and the Ruth's 
And when you think about Tom Brady, when you think about LeBron James, Serena Williams, when you think Usain Bolt, Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, and you start to put all these people together and you wonder to yourself, okay, how does excellence, right? How does one, one shot of excellence become a steady dose of excellence that leads to greatness? And when do we even start paying attention? Because, like, I remember Tom Brady, right? Y'all remember Tom Brady? Y'all remember the picture that they show all the time now that's, like, a great picture when he was, he was basically built like a peeled-off cinnamon roll? Like, if you take a cinnamon roll and you unravel it, you know what I'm saying, and then you smush it and rub it down, that's how Tom Brady was built. And then the, the 40 that he ran that I actually have left my living room Going to pour me a glass of wine, came back, he's still running it, right? He ran a five too long, you know what I'm saying? Forever, right? They show all these things now, but all of those things are cool now because he's the greatest of all time. And then people are going to say, yeah, but there are people who are better, right? Like you look at Aaron Rodgers. If you look at Aaron Rodgers and you really study the game, you think to yourself, Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Tom Brady, except for when it seems to really, really matter, and that makes Tom Brady greater, right? And then you start to pick it apart, and you say, you know what? For Tom, like first and second Super Bowl, it was about defense. It was about Bill Belichick. It was Adam Vinatieri. It was right place, right time. It was videoing people practice. I mean, no, not that, not that part. It was doing the right things the right way, right? It was deflating balls maybe, but I mean... Who wants deflated balls anyway other than Tom, right? And so you have all these things that lead to this level of greatness. But then you think about Aaron Rodgers and you say, oh, man, that was a shot of excellence, right? 2010, we play them in the Super Bowl and holy hell, it was a shot of excellence. It's one of the best things I've ever been a part of. And it wasn't even me. I'm sitting on the side like we are playing really well defensively and we can't stop this dude. And so at that point, what do you say? You say, man. If Aaron Rodgers keeps this up, if Aaron Rodgers win two, wins two or three more Super Bowls, Aaron Rodgers can be the greatest quarterback of all time, right? But that shot of excellence never turned into a steady dose of it. And was it individual? Absolutely. Individual times we looked at Aaron Rodgers and we said, you know what? You're the best we've ever seen. But it was that steady dose for over two decades, now with a new team of Tom Brady, that now makes us say, holy cow, he's the greatest of all time. Right. And now we see Patrick Malone, Patrick Mahomes. It was a shot of excellence right out of the door. When he started playing quarterback, I was like, yep, that's what it's supposed to look like, even though it's never looked like that before. And then we started comparing him. What's crazy is we started comparing him right away to who? To Aaron Rodgers, not Tom Brady. We was like, oh, man, we haven't seen anything like this since we first saw Aaron Rodgers. But it wasn't Tom Brady right away. Because Aaron Rodgers gave us that shot of excellence. And y'all know what shots do, right? You take a shot of tequila, it goes down different than if you drink a margarita. You drink a margarita, it lasts longer, it tastes better. It's a good day. But you get that shot, it's like, oh, you fired up right away. Right? So when we see that, when we get that shot of excellence, we're like, man, that's it. That's what I want. That's what it's going to be. But it doesn't mean that that translates into being the greatest. And go to a different sport. Basketball. Michael Jordan is the GOAT to me. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. I have watched The Last Dance 14 times. 
I'm probably going to watch it 15 and 16 and 17. And because of Michael Jordan, my entire view on basketball players is skewed. I don't like nice basketball players. It's not my fault. It's Michael Jordan's fault. Blame it on MJ, right? If you're a basketball player and you're a good human, I tend to like you less than I like the bad ones, right? Like Russell, Russell Westbrook is one of my favorite basketball players of all time. Not because he's skilled, because he's not, but golly, he's mean as hell, which in turn doesn't actually make you a better basketball player. Sometimes you squeeze the baby when you're super mean because the other guy's doing some things and you want to beat him and you squeeze the baby too tight and you can't make a freaking shot. But man, I sure enjoy watching him miss 40 shots and cuss the other dude out and continue going at his head because that's what I like because that's what I saw Mike do. Except for the ball just went in. Kobe Bryant, right? We've talked about it. I've talked about it on this show. I've talked about it on pretty much any show that they will allow me to talk about Kobe Bryant on. Is Mike the GOAT to me? Yes, but Kobe Bryant's my favorite basketball player of all time. Mostly and initially because he was a lot like Mike. Because all he could think about was greatness. All he could think about was being the best. All he could think about was winning. He actually said it was hard for him to be good at relationships and other relationships because he had such a relationships, relationship with trying to excel. That makes sense to me. Like when I see that, I immediately gravitate toward it. I immediately love it. And so when we look at the two decades of Kobe Bryant's career, we say to ourselves, ourselves, that's greatness. The approach was an approach of greatness. And so then comes LeBron. And when LeBron comes along, it's like no question. The dude was King James before he was old enough to run a, to run a country, before he was old enough to run a kingdom. He was King James. He was on the front of Slam magazine. He was on the front of Sports Illustrated. All of these things, we were saying he's the next one. Because the shot of excellence was so much earlier than everyone else's. Right? Like when we saw Kobe, we, we had to see it. We had to see it transform. We had to see it grow. We had to see it develop. I remember crying when he shot air balls against Utah and arguing with my, arguing with my father saying, but he shot him, no dad. He kept shooting him because that was important to me. Because to me, I said, you know what? Eventually he becomes great, right? Eventually, if he, if he believes like this at 18, at 19, if it's okay to miss one and you can still throw it to me again or pass it to me again and I'll shoot it, then that's going to be great. Because to me, that's a shot of excellence right there. But that's a shot of excellence that won't just stand for that one shot. And so now we're looking at LeBron, and I'm, I'm here to talk good about him, so I'm not going to like give my whole why Jordan's the GOAT and LeBron's not speech. But we're looking at LeBron at 36, and the only reason other people get MVPs is because we compare LeBron to old LeBron. And even now, if it's not Joel Embiid, it's going to be LeBron. Right? Yeah, the numbers are different. But when we're looking at a game changer, when we're looking at somebody that moves organizations, nobody in the NBA moves, controls, and controls the destiny of organizations like LeBron James. And it's been shot after shot after shot after shot of excellence. That's the way it started, right? When he was in Cleveland, you saw it. The 45 in the semis when they needed it. And then he played San Antonio. 
He wasn't supposed to win that. Right? And then the decision, when everybody wants to see him fail anyway, and then you lose to Dallas, you're down in game six to the Miami Heat. Chris Bosh to Ray Allen changes history. LeBron takes the headband off, shows the ball spot. Now we at it. Right? That changes that that I he can't be in the conversation without those things, but now he's in the conversation. Cause now you can't freaking stop him from going to the dang things. And so then there's there's the bubble, right? And there's winning in the bubble. And now the conversation ramps up again, right? The Kendrick Perkins of the world, the Marcus Spears of the world, LeBron's the GOAT because even when he loses, he gets to the championship and Michael Jordan ain't get to the championship. Well, every time Michael Jordan had a team that was good enough to win a championship, they won a championship. Period. If he had one other all-star, count it, bank it, championship. That's greatness. And so is what LeBron's doing. But it brings me back to my original point that that is so subjective and we try to quantify it, right? Because we're fans and because we're fans, we want to quantify it and we want to make it make sense, right? That's what like Moneybag Yo said, make it make sense. So we're working our best to make things work, make sense. And it's so difficult because we can't get our emotions out of it. We can't get out who we love or, or who we who we connect with or, or who what team we're fans of. Which is the great thing about being me, because I'm not really a fan of a team. I just like people. If you're my person and you're on that team, then de facto, that is my team. But if he leaves that team, you are no longer my team. Not that anybody cares if I'm a fan of that team at all. And so you, you, you fast forward that, or even not even fast forward, because obviously LeBron's still playing. You bring that to this weekend. And this weekend... Naomi Osaka defeats Serena Williams for her fourth major, right? At the time now, right now, Serena got 23, right? Trying to get 24. Needs to get that one more to get to 2-5, right? So she win 24, which we thought she thought she had the opportunity to do this weekend, right? And then you get 25, it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not a conversation. Now, I don't think she's one of the greatest athletes of all time in the conversation for the greatest athlete of all time because we got to remember She's dominated in doubles with her sister, Venus. And two, she's absolutely been a monster. And now at 39, is still finding herself in major semifinals. And so Naomi Osaka beats her this weekend. And it kind of takes me back to 2018 at the U.S. Open. You know, and if you, if you go back to, to that time, Naomi beats Serena. Uh, Serena has some issues with the with the official and there is this, there, there's kind of like this big old humbug that Serena stole Naomi's thunder or her, her, her opportunity or her glow or her moment. You know what I was thinking about, right? If she wasn't so great, she actually couldn't steal that moment. If she has hadn't polarized the tennis world, if she hadn't made people tennis fans who weren't fans before, if she hadn't pissed off the status quo or what you're used to so much to where you have people who dislike her, and this is not a racial thing, people who dislike her because it doesn't look the same, because it may not be as graceful, because now it's more powerful, because now it dresses different, because now it moves differently, 
right? So it was people on both sides of how they feel about Serena, and that's why the moment was stolen. But it was still Naomi's moment, right? It was still Naomi's shot of excellence. Why? Because when that happened against the opponent being Serena Williams, you got to pay attention. And so now she starts to build, Naomi Osaka that is, starts to build her resume towards greatness. And that includes now the four major championships. That includes a major championship while wearing victims of police violence name on your mask during COVID. Like all those things, like all those parts of a journey, all those opportunities to show or set yourself apart or to be a part of history in a different way, all those things bring you closer and closer and closer to greatness. But it takes all of those things. Now, I put a tweet out this week uh, on my DB Precision um, profile, and it was basically saying this, right? Uh, when I was walking in, I saw a poster of the 2019 Louisiana State University Football Tigers, the greatest football team to ever grace college football. Period. There's no argument. Had an argument with Clinton Portis about it, and he was talking about the U. Ah, whatever. Right? Just for one year, the greatest team. And I watched it sometimes, and I was like, these dudes could probably not practice and win some of these games. Because they were just that talented. Right? Justin Jefferson... Best rookie receiver. We're not going to say ever because we all understood what Randy Moss was. But as a season, the best rookie season I've seen from a receiver. And guess what? He was the number two. Jamar Chase was better. Jamar Chase dominated C.J. Henderson. He dominated uh, A.J. Terrell in the championship. He dominated uh, Trayvon, uh, Trayvon Diggs, who's now the number one corner at Dallas. Like We saw all these things. And so that was just such a shot of excellence that year. But man, ain't Nick Saban in Alabama that steady dose of it though? Ain't that greatness? And so it got me to thinking that if that LSU team had to work, if those Nick Saban teams had to work, that you don't win championships or you don't reach certain levels or certain heights of accomplishments without the work. So I put the tweet out and I talked about championships not being won during four quarters of play. Championships being won on the grass. Championships being won in the weight room. Championships being won in the film, film room, right? In walkthroughs and practices. And so this dude, because people like to be contrarians, he was like, well, I've seen teams do all of those things and all of those things didn't work. They haven't won a game. I say, well, yeah, dummy. Now you're arguing something else. Now you're telling me if you take 20 people who can't play basketball and put them on a team and they run wind sprints and they shoot a lot of free throws and they shoot three-pointers, that if they do all these things, they'll be good. No, you got to have the requisite skill. You got to have the right opportunity. It has to be the right situation. But without all of the work, those things don't come together. And those things go into having that one shot of excellence or truly, truly, being a steady dose of excellence that leads you to greatness. It's about the work. It's about the grind. And in the end, it's about the success and the wins. It's about what we see. 
right? There's never been in the world a great practice squad player. Now, he might be great at practice, but you never called him a great practice squad players because, player because it's about what we see. It's about what we can feel. It's about what we can internalize. It's about the memories you leave with us that make us tell stories of your greatness. Because see, mostly we like to listen to you come in and recap to us how you became what you became. But we want to tell the stories of how we see it. It's super dope. Like when you sit around and, and now I often go back and YouTube different interviews of Kobe that I didn't see and listen to him talk about the way he, he approached the game. To hear him say, somebody said, hey, look, when you play Mike, don't look him in his eyes. And he said, but what you didn't realize is I'm him too. Don't look me in my effing eyes. Right? Like that story is great to hear. But the story that's better for me to see or better for me to tell is about the first time I watched a dude who I looked at in Kobe Bryant and said, you know what? I connect to this dude. I feel this dude. I am a fan. And then watch the greatest basketball player to me, Michael Jordan, face off. And those two guys go at each other at different times in their lives when they were different players. But it was such a level of greatness displayed that day that I want to tell that story of how it made me feel. It's cool to listen to Kobe tell it, right? Because I love him and I love his storytelling abilities. But his greatness lies in the fact that when we tell it, it fires you up. That when you tell it, it can bring you back to that moment. And the reason it can bring you back to that moment is because it leads you to another moment. When you tell stories about shots of excellence, it usually has a dot, dot, dot. When you tell stories of greatness, it only takes one dot. Because the story is enough. The work is enough. The success is enough. And the wins are more than enough. So we don't need that story to continue. Hearing it, seeing it, feeling it, allows you to know that it wasn't just a shot of excellence. It was a steady dose of it that led to greatness. Appreciate y'all listening. This is Face Face First with RC. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me, looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favorite. Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB Precision, television, ain't ask for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest. Run through opponents, watch the film, it's effective, I promise. Sit back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work. And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First. Uh.